Welcome to Let's Get Writing, the podcast that explores the creative process of writing from books, scripts, plays, and poems to songs and blogs. This series focuses on authors, publishers, and artists. Catherine's guests share their process of writing in all its forms. Listen along to discover personal journeys behind their work, explore options from indie to traditional publishing, and learn tips and secrets to inspire you. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. Hello, everyone out there. <laughs> Welcome to Let's Get Writing Season 4. I'm Katherine Taylor, and we're coming to you from Grand Falls, Windsor, Newfoundland, Canada. And please let us know where you're watching from. It's always fun to see how far these programs go, and we'd love to hear comments. And anything you'd like to share with us, please do. Well, I can't believe I'm moving into a fourth season with this show. Um, it just seemed like one day it was an idea in my head, and all of a sudden now <laughs> we've got like, I don't know, close to 100 shows. And I promise you we're going to bring you more great authors and writers this season and in all genres. So if you're interested, reach out to me. I've had quite a few projects on the go this summer, and one of them was writing and producing with the help of Up Sky Down Films and the owner, Roger Monder, a book trailer for my book, Misty's Misadventures. That's a rom-com, which is going to be out this fall. So, so you're going to get to see that trailer because it will be all over my social media and wherever else I can share it. In the meantime, here I am again to focus on writers and publishers that we all love. And there's going to be no exception today. <laughs> But before I jump into it, I just want to remind you that the show is live here every Friday on Katherine Taylor Media, and all of my shows are permanently hosted on my YouTube channel at Katherine Taylor TV, and they are also available as podcasts on Podbean and any of your other favorite uh, podcast channels and platforms. So be sure to follow and subscribe and never miss another episode. Now, let's get on with the show. Kicking off season four is a guest who joined me back in November of 2020. And at that time, we had such a wonderful talk. We felt like we wanted to do another half hour. And well, here we are again to do just that. Her sixth book, Operation Traffic, a crime thriller, has just been published. And if you haven't guessed who this is, well, I'm going to bring her up into the stream. And sometimes my buttons don't react so quickly. And it is Helen Escott. Hi, Helen. How are you? Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me today. This is fun. I'm so looking forward to this. Look, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, let me tell you, I have your book, <laughs> which I am, I've got my highlighter. Sometimes I read books with a highlighter. I'm like, oh, I love it. I do too. I do too. <laughs> They're not, once you own them, it's all right. You can do what you want with them and, and enjoy them is the most important thing. But Helen, I'm so excited. This is your sixth book. And uh, it's in the crime uh, crime thriller genre again, which and you do such a wonderful job. I lifted this off your webpage. You're a one woman crime spree in the literary world. <laughs> I am that. I'm all of that. <laughs> you are all of that. And um, 
you know, your background, having been a civilian member of the RCMP for many years. But before before we talk about that, I hear you're really, really busy. You have plans for a tour. Tell us all about that. Yes, I'm get, I always get uh, emails and messages from readers saying, you know, do you come outside of St. John's? And I do. I try to do that as much as I can because, you know what, Newfoundlanders are the most literate group in, in the world because they read everything. and They love to read Newfoundland literature. So I'm planning a tour uh, on September 15th. I'm going to start in St. John's at the AC Hunter Library. Um, then on September um 18th it's a saturday i'm at the clarenville market from 10 30 to 11 30 on sunday september 19th i'm going to be at the ock island winery in twillingate doing some uh, wine testing and signing books so that's going to be interesting then monday september 20th at two o'clock i'm at the gander library and pre-registration is required and uh, then on tuesday september 21st i'm at the cornerbrook library same thing pre-registration you can just call the library and on wednesday september 22nd from 1 30 to 4 30 i'm at the butterfly book boutique in port basque and they have a huge huge book club out there so i'm really looking forward to it wow well you are covering the island but i can't help but mention you've forgotten grand falls windsor I, i'm making a special trip i'm going to be back before christmas i'm coming out the grand falls windsor i got lots of friends out there from when i worked with the rcmp and uh, some good friends out there so uh i look forward to coming out and let's plan a whole weekend let's do a whole yes day. yeah let's do it love, helen love grand falls. Love yeah grand falls. we're gonna we're gonna do that so anyone out there interested well, maybe we'll do something. My book may be here by that time. Anyway, we'll plan a great weekend for everyone. And so good that you're on the road. And I love the fact that, you know, I believe exactly what you said, that Newfoundlanders are voracious readers and writers. Yes. <laughs> Both. We're an island of storytellers. We're natural storytellers. I mean, every family here has, you know, the uncle who can get up and sing or the mother who gets up and tells stories or the sister who tells the jokes. We are an island of entertainers and storytellers. And we are, and I think we do it very well. Yeah. Now, Helen, when I, I picked up the book and I was reading through the, the dedication and so on, and in the dedication you wrote, this book is dedicated to the thousands of women and children who are trafficked every day. It is unbelievable to me that this sexual slave trade is permitted to happen. Human trafficking is a crime against all humanity. And I wanted to ask you about that because that was written with so much passion. Yes. You know, people think of the slave trade and you think of a hundred years ago and boats coming from Africa and they don't realize the slave trade is still happening right now. When you look at Baltic countries, the poor countries of Poland and Romania, there's so many. Look at what's happening in Afghanistan right now. You know, an order has come out from the Taliban that girls between the ages of 15 and widows under 45 are to be married off to Taliban fighters and who's not married off is going to be put in camps for rape and they're basically rape camps for soldiers so you know it's it's a war on women right now and the whole premise of this book is look it's possible to get away with murder if you kill people whose lives are already devalued by society those are the the sex workers the drug workers the runaways it doesn't even make the news anymore you know and people will laugh at the sex trade and go oh you know it's just the oldest profession no, it's not. It's the oldest form of oppression. No woman chose this as a career. And that's where the passion comes from. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when you talk about these things, we've seen so much in this direction over the past couple of years with the hashtag Me Too movement and some of the people that have been 
brought to light. I mean, we would hear rumblings about things that happened in Hollywood and so on. But when you, you, you know, you bring a Harvey Weinstein out or, or a Jeffrey, uh, uh, his mind. So, well, you know, there, there's this belief that men who are leaders are immune from consequences of their actions. You know, that they could cheat on their wives, they could beat their wives, but they're all forgiven because they're powerful men. They molest children. They kidnap young women like Harvey uh, or Jeffrey Epstein. And it's okay because they're good at their jobs. We, we, you know, look at Bill Cosby, you know, there's, there's multiple dozens of women have come forward said he raped me he drugged me but he's america's father you know let's just forgive him because he's so funny and and it's just they get that pass because they're good at their jobs and that's not right hmm. no it's definitely not right and you know when you you think about years ago when monica Lewinsky came out she was really Oh my God. More victimized. That wouldn't happen today. So I feel we've come a long way in yes. the sense that we're, you know, we're being heard and respected more and listened to. Um, if that had happened now, I mean, he, you know, she wouldn't have been as vilified as she, as she was. And, and, and it's taken yeah. her a lifetime to get over this. I think she has a new series coming out if people want to check. Yeah, the American Crime Story. And when you look at that story, that's baffled me because she was 21. Mm -hmm. 21. I mean, I, my daughter's 21 and he's the president of the united states the most powerful man in the world but somehow this affair was her fault yeah she, she <laughs> in the story she's she's a 21 year old girl who mm -hmm. has an intern job at the most powerful place in the world and the most powerful man in the world victimizes her but but she's the perpetrator yeah like, you know, yeah. that story, how he maintains his presidency still and is seen as a hero. And I've just seen pictures of him yesterday with, with you know, powerful women saying, oh, so happy to be with this president. He, he basically victimized a 21-year-old girl. I know. And how these things just get pushed away. So we have to keep being heard. We have to, you oh, know, God. our voices have to be out there. And your book is such a, a, a powerful educational tool is almost how I saw it. And I wanted to talk to you a bit about that. When, you know, when we read your book, you have so much information that you share. And I know you had that long history of working uh, as a civilian with the RCMP and that culture, but how much in your book is, is, is factual and how much is fiction? Well, they're all, all my books are based on, uh, based on true crime. And then I you know, change some details to to make them fiction. But there's nothing in there that's not true. Every story in Trafficked or Vanished or Wormwood, they're all based on true crime. And I know people don't want to see it. And But I write from the premise that uh, the books are to entertain, but they're also to educate. And the way I, when I'm writing, I, I'm thinking once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once I tell you the sex trade is operating in St. John's, Newfoundland. It's operating in Grand Falls, Newfoundland. It's operating in Cornerbrook. These women are being trafficked across in hotels. And you can go on Kijiji and you can buy these women in hotel rooms. The hotel clerks know. You can go in and ask, like, any trafficked women here? Yeah, they're upstairs. I'll tell you what rooms they're. They know. So mm -hmm. once you know, you can't unknow it. You can't unsee it. You can't tell me it does not exist because I could take you right now to your hotel and talk to your to death, the girl on the front desk. She'll tell you. 
These women mm. are brought to you all the time. Yeah, you know, and when I was reading the book and I see the name Grand Falls and, and, you know, I'd be going like, oh, this is so close to home because we, I guess, I don't know if we put blinders on and we think, well, we're in Newfoundland and this sort of thing doesn't happen. But, you know, when I was reading the book and just going, yeah, okay, it is right here. And I'm not naive about it. I worked uh, for many years with Via Rail and I think the trains were that ran between Moncton, Halifax, Moncton, and Montreal were a source of of a similar um, of a similar thing. Um, yeah, yeah, and well, hard to believe Halifax is actually the 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 main human trafficking sites in Canada is our uh, Montreal and Nova Scotia. And Halifax mm-hmm. is actually uh, is part of a, a corridor that's frequently used to transport victims of human trafficking across Canada. I mean, they don't put that in the tourism brochures, but Halifax. Who would have thought Halifax is a human trafficking capital of Canada? No, I wouldn't have thought that. But let's get let's get back and tell a little more about this because, <laughs> you know, human trafficking. And you go into a washroom and you see a young girl's photograph on the washroom stall door, and you're looking at her, and she's someone's daughter. And you know, how do women get into this? And you you talk about that in your book. Maybe just go into it a, a little bit. Well, it comes down to, you know, the women who go into this, a lot of them get tricked. There's all different ways that they can do it. Uh, You know, but it comes down to these women come from places of poverty, uh, mental illness. Uh, They come from abuse. That's the type of people they look for. There's called a Romeo uh, scenario. There was two cases I looked at in Halifax of uh, one was a, a university student. These are bright women. These are not stupid women. The woman was a you know very bright university student, met this very handsome young man who instantly fell in love with her. Uh, he, immediately they go in, oh, your parents are divorced. Oh, you're having a hard time with your mother. Oh God, I understand you. I love you. I, you know, you're beautiful. You're right. And, you know, and they're there giving them everything they want. And then it's all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to lose my car. I can't make this car payment and I can't get a job. And, God, you know, if you would just, if you could, you just sleep with this guy, and 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 he'll write off my car payment if you do that. You're like, I get the money. If you could, if you loved me, you would do that. Mm-hmm. And she, no, I can't do that. That's, but if you love me, okay. Well, I'm not going to talk to you for three days, and then she'll be texting and calling, and then he'll call her back after three days, and he'll go, look, are you going to do it or not? Because if you don't, there's another girl who will. Okay, well, I'll do it to keep you. And then she sleeps with him, so he gets his, you know, pretend car payment. And then next month is, I can't make my rent. If you could just sleep with my friend, he'll give me the money. And it it happens that innocently. And before she knows it, she's trafficked. And after a little while, then you know what? You're going to date my friend now. My friend's going to take you to Toronto, and you're going to date him up there. And her parents have no idea this is going on because she's so humiliated, she won't tell. But they look for women who are marginalized, mm-hmm. women who need this this Romeo to come rescue them. That's what they look for. Right. And, you know, you the, the characters in your book, many of those women are Eastern European or they're from places like Cambodia. These are yeah. women who are have not much in their lives and they're looking for a better opportunity and then they get caught up in these and situations and getting out. <laughs> you can't, you can't get out. They, mm-hmm. You know what, when, when you look at the Baltic States, what happens over there, and this happened in Russia where there was a, a they went into a university 
Now, these are brilliant women. These are second, third, fourth year university students told that uh, they need uh, maids for hotels for the summer uh, in Israel, in the Arab uh, states. And uh, you come down, you're going to be paid top dollar. You're going to get tips every day uh, and you can pay your way through university. So, you know, uh, they all sign up and they fill a bus and they take these women. Immediately, they're taken to the, the breaking ground, which is basically warehouses of, of in Syria where they they if they go in, they're, they're basically repeatedly raped and broken. It's called the, the breaking grounds for a reason. Mm -hmm. and then they're sold off to brothels and, and their families don't know. They can't reach them. They can't get in. They're basically got people on them 24 seven. They can't escape. They're put in rooms with no windows and they're there to service people, men over and over and over again, and they can't get out. And when they get out, if they do get away and run to the police or run to government, these are the organizations that are put in place to help them. And they are the most corrupt organizations. The police over there are corrupt. The governments are corrupt. So they run to these places that are supposed to protect them. But they're the most corrupt people and getting kickbacks from it too. So why doesn't human trafficking stop? Because too many men are making money off these women and children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, follow the dollar. That's what they, they always well, say. Organized, organized crime has the top three. Organized crime is very organized. They're called organized for a reason and they have unlimited funds. So their top three money makers are one is drugs, two is arms, you know, guns, whatever. Third is the sale of women and children. And that is quickly starting to surpass drugs and guns because if the RCP pulls over a car in Grand Falls, Windsor and checks the trunk and it's loaded down with cocaine, then they can arrest him. They can take the cocaine. They can put it in a locker. When they go to court, they could say to the judge and jury, here's the cocaine. We caught him. This is it. Pretty well cut and dry. Right. But when you pull over a car that's full of women with Russian and Polish accents and you can't put them in a locker for six months until you get a court date, you know, those women, you have to try and keep them here. You have to try and get them to testify. And they know if you testify, we're going to go back and get your sister, your, your 10 year old sister. We're going to kidnap her. And we're going to put her in it. We can't get you. We're getting her. So you make a choice. Who's going to be there? Or if you do it and we get you, we're going to beat you until we kill you. We're going to torture you. These women have already been tortured, repeatedly raped. They know fear like no woman has ever known it. To get them women to testify is almost impossible. And mm -hmm. also our court system is, is, is uneven because the court system... You can't get an accurate human trafficking stat in Canada because our Crown prosecutors don't want to prosecute uh, human trafficking charges because it's too expensive and the chances you're going to get a conviction are very low. So what they'll do is they'll plead it down to uh, assault, sexual assault, a minor. Uh, but human trafficking, just too expensive. The Crown out in Grand Falls, Windsor does not have the money. Right. Yeah. And, and, and Helen, as you tell this, you know, I'm sitting here just going, it's, it, it just feels like something that can't ever be resolved. And I suppose in writing your book, is this something that you're trying to do to raise awareness of this as a, you know, besides providing entertainment? I mean, is there that purpose there as well? It, it can be solved. That's the thing. It can be you solved. You know how you solve it? It's you solve it by telling men to stop using their, their socioeconomic power to buy people who have no power. It ends when men stop buying women and children for sex. That's how it ends. Yeah. Stop it. Just stop buying women and children for sex. 
That's what you do. You have to shame these men, you know, mm -hmm. and that's not happening. They changed the law in Canada. So, you know, women cannot be selling the sex is not illegal. So when you do bust these rings, these women are not put in jail and given criminal records, you know, and, and, but the, the, the Johns are the, the guys who go in are supposed to be prosecuted, but it's, they seem to be able to turn that law around. And I find that very frustrating that, that, that happens, you know, we don't, we're, we're, we seem to be putting in more adult massage parlors. And to me, when you allow these adult massage parlors throughout our province, you're giving these women more places to work when instead you should be putting funding into places for them to heal, to mm -hmm. deal with mental trauma, to deal with mental illness, to deal with abuse problems, to deal with, you know, a, a substance abuse. We don't seem to, to want that in our neighborhood, but we don't mind the adults massage parlors where women are lined up and men can go in and buy them. Mm, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. It's, it's, going to take a lot of pressure from a lot of women and the ball is rolling i guess we have to to keep it rolling helen in your book you know you do make reference to things like the politicians and in you know how this is very difficult some of them are customers like you have some very upstanding people who show up at these parlors and yeah. you know Again, I come back to, you know, is it based a lot on fact? I mean, do you really feel that that our system is feeding it in these ways? Well, you know, you, you watch all these movies and shows and they, they paint these dirty old men in parks who are, you mm. know, abusing children. And that's not actually true. Uh, you know, uh, most children are abused by people who know them. Yeah. Spend a long time groom, grooming them. Same with women. You know, they're, they're abused by people who know them. And a woman is more likely to be murdered by someone she loves than a stranger. And that's the truth of it, you know. Um, but the normal everyday men making minimum wage can't afford to buy sex workers. Uh, these people are what keeps this industry corrupt is the, the politicians, that the people who can afford, who have the money to go buy them. You talk to police officers when they do surveillance outside of some of these places, they'll tell you it's the biggest names going in there, not, not the small guys. Yeah. And you cover that in the book and, and your characters, um, Myra and McNaughton, uh, Gail McNaughton and... Um, Myra's. What's his first name again? Nicholas Myra. <laughs> Nicholas, right. They end up working together. She's with the RCMP. He's with the, the constabulary. And they end up working together on this case. And what I found, um, you know, one of the scenes where they, it was right off the top of the book, where they go into a crime scene. There's a body of a young girl there. And they're talking, they're observing and talking about the situation. And then it's like, oh, I heard you got married and had a baby. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is so different. This is, you know, would I be able to have that conversation if I was there? No, I'd probably be in shock. But it was really worked, Helen, like the way you did that, just I thought, you know, this job is a tough job. This must be a coping mechanism. It is. It absolutely is. You know, it's it's called black humor. Firefighters use it. Police use it. Paramedics use it. Anybody who has to deal with daily trauma has to do something to protect the brain. And it's not meant to be disrespectful to the victim. 
it's just that, you know, these people are human. They're not machines. You just don't turn your brain off when you go in and see a, a, a dead child on the floor or, you know, a, a, a woman who's been shot in the face. You, you just don't go in and, you know, turn your brain off. Your brain just has to do something to protect itself. So you'll automatically, you know, make a joke to make somebody laugh or do something inappropriate. It, it's just, it's not disrespectful. It's really just a way of self-preservation to protect yourself. And, uh, and that's not unusual because it is their workplace too, you know, mm -hmm. it is their workplace, but it is a way. And, and that way, you know, and, and my characters are flawed. They're, they're not super police officers that are robocops. They're, they are flawed. You know, McNaughton has a mother with dementia. Uh, Myra's trying to keep a marriage together. Uh, you know, it, it's so there's all kinds of issues that they have to deal with. So they have to kind of float above the trauma to have a normal, some type of normal life. Yeah, and you do that so well. Your characters and I, and I, you know, the last time we spoke, you said you have sort of little cards on each of your characters to keep everything straight, but you do make them so real and and just um, I guess we can sympathize with them at times and get angry at them at times. Yeah. But you do a marvelous job of that. Thank you. When you're tackling issues like you do in your book, do you ever find any anxiety in yourself about how are you going to present this or what you learn? Does it impact you in any way? It, yeah, it does. Because I, to me, I'm not a person who knows how my story ends. I kind of just do surveillance on my characters and follow them along. And I live in their world while I'm writing. And my characters are based on true people, too. Like McNaughton is based on uh, RCMP inspector Chris McNaughton, who was the Dana Bradley investigator for years and years. And so I use a lot of her life. I talk to her every pretty much every month and while I'm writing and she gives me stories. So, and, and Nicholas Myra is based on my husband who is retired from the RNC and, uh, and based on his career. And so these are all true stories of what they deal with and what they go home at the end of the day, because people tend to, especially now, you know, with this anti-police movement, you mm -hmm. know, when people want to defund the police, if you actually knew how defunded the police already were, you would be out protesting to give them more positions. You know yourself out in Grand Falls, you, you need more positions, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you're driving on the highway and you don't see a car. You, you know, you, you know that they really are already way too defunded as it is. So they have real, real lives and they try to do their best. I mean, every police officer goes to work with the intention of helping somebody, of doing something, of making a difference, to give closure to a family. And then they go home to their own families, you know, and they, they try to, you know, have supper and, and be there for their own children and their own spouses and, and their own parents. And, and, and they're trying to be the whole person. And it's, you know, this is why a lot of police officers go home and they close the door and they don't have friends and they don't socialize and you know and, and this is where PTSD finds them is is you know in that position of I started out wanting to to help people and now I'm in this position where I can't even help myself yes yeah and and those are huge issues Helen uh, once again I'm talking to you and I feel like I could talk to you for days <laughs> but I do want to bring up a few images um, before we wrap here and show in the stream and um, there we go. There's your book cover. Let's talk a, just a little bit about that, a very powerful image. 
Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, so in the book, there's there's one of the cases of uh, I look at domestic trafficking because people, when they think of human trafficking, they do tend to think of outside of Newfoundland. But there is a, a, a issue in human trafficking called domestic trafficking. And um, and, and in this case, it's a lady who meets somebody, uh, this guy in the States on a dating site. And he asks her, do you have children? And she says, yes, I have a seven-year-old daughter. And he's like, perfect. Because that's what he's looking for, right? Right. He's interested her. And he's sending her the money to uh, fly down to the States with the intention of as soon as she lands, she's going to disappear. The kid's going to go with him. That's what he wants. But he targets this woman, you know, who obviously... Um, he has no interest in and uh and he know that's what they're looking for they they groom these women you know to, i'm going to give you this big life we're going to live in this big mansion and mm. if it sounds, sounds too good it probably yeah so it is it's and so it it does happen here we've had cases of this happening here of women meeting guys online and within a short time they want to know do you have children you know and and that's a red flag yeah. And, and we've had several cases of that here. And uh, and also one of the things I want to do with traffic is one of the misconceptions that are out there in the media is that, uh, you know, a woman has a right to her body. Uh, if I want to be a prostitute, that's my business. But you know what? Listen, here's the thing about legalizing prostitution. And you got to remember, the people who want to do this are the pimps. They're the ones pushing this agenda. The ones making the money off these women and children are pushing this agenda, not the women, because the women don't get the money. Uh, and if you remove any impediment to buying sex and normalizing it, it's going to increase the act. So people from the most impoverished and marginalized communities then get trafficked. And you know what? It's regressive. And it's anti-feminist to normalize an industry where women are bought and sold for the pleasure of men. Remember, you have to be lined up in, in your underwear. And some guy comes in and looks you up and down to decide if he wants to pay you $20 or $25 for, or $100 for a sex act. How does that empower women? How is this empowering women? How does legalizing? Because if you look at the countries where prostitution has been legalized, and, and I know in some countries, there's even unions. Very few, there's thousands of women working in the sex industry over where they, they, do, they do legalize it. Very few join the unions because very few women want a government record saying they're a sex worker so their children and grandchildren can find that out. Uh, you know, And also, if you have to have a room where you need a, a safety button so when you're getting choked out, and if you can reach it, you know, what job, what job for a woman requires you to have a, a safety button there that you could press when you're, you're being murdered? Mm -hmm. it, it's ridiculous to think that, right? So this is why I am hell set against legalizing prostitution in Canada. Because when you vote for that, what you're voting for is to have a girl 18 years old being sold for the pleasure of men. That's what you're voting on. Mm -hmm. Well, you raised some very strong points there, and I do agree with you, Helen. It, it, it doesn't empower women. No, it does not. No. Let's have a look here. What do we have? A couple. Oh, there you are. <laughs> Fine form. And we're going to see you all over the island. And some more. I guess I get, I'll mention Flanker Press have published your book, and you work with them on coming up with this artwork and the um, different covers. And there we go. There's another one. 
I think that we uh, human trafficking again. There's so many levels to this, uh, you know, so, so many levels. Helen, we think about the obvious ones. And then, um, you know, when you bring up, you bring up, well, we haven't even talked about a, a smaller majority, but young men. I mean, that's, that is another market. I know we're focused oh on men, but it happens there as well, albeit smaller. Yes, it is actually, you know, when you look at human trafficking, the majority are young women, but there is a market there for, for men and especially young boys, young boys are, you know, uh, you look at child porn sites. I mean, they're, they're rampant. There's so many, you know, the, these pornography sites don't have any age limits on it. Uh, they, they don't check to see if the videos are legit or if there's been, you know, uh, people cameras, you know, filming children getting undressed uh, or, or using their, you know, there, there is a, um, there's also a computer uh, equipment that can turn on your camera. And if you got your, your child got their, their computer in their bedroom, there is an app that can turn on the camera and watch your child sleep and you don't even know what's happening. Mm. You know, I used to take hockey tape and put it over the, uh, the, the camera on my, my children's laptops because people can turn it on. I've seen it. I've seen it happen. Yeah. You don't I, even know. I keep yeah, one yeah. of those little sliders. Yes. When I'm not, and mine's in my office, but when I'm not there, I keep that over the, the camera. And I used to think, you know, this is crazy. This is, you know, for people who are paranoid, but I have learned as yeah. you say that there are, are apps and there are ways that, that our own can, technology can be invasive and um, take advantage of our innocence if oh we're not on top of it. You know, and so Helen, where are you going now? Is there, are there more books along this line? Because it seems like, well, this is number six. And I know they weren't all crime thrillers, but that yeah. seems to be a predominant theme in your writing. What, what, what's coming up? Are you going to have another book? I do actually. There's there's two books I've kind of got framed out, and uh, um, I'm I'm working on. It. I do a lot of research. My books take a lot of research. It's not something I can just sit down and, and write continuously. I I do a lot of interviews. With this one, I interviewed a lot of subject matter experts in policing and and in in human trafficking and and sex work, and because uh, I want to get the real story. Because I don't want uh, you know, a, a police officer to read this and go, oh, that would never happen. That's not the way it's done. Because uh, I've read books like that where, you know, it's not even Canadian law they're, they're using. And so I want it to be real. And I've had a lot of police officers read this and message me and go, like, my God, you really tapped into our investigations there. So it's got to be real. So I do a lot of research. So every book I look at is, is an incredible, I'd say there's probably a year of research in between writing it down and turning it into a story or more, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and when I, you know, when I read your book, I know this because the information is presented so well and I go, yeah, I'm sure this is based on fact and your career, no doubt, gave you that ability to be aware of what to ask, what pieces you might plug in. I think that certainly makes you unique and the fact that you've taken this and can bring it into your stories okay. is very powerful. And storm of, of working in the media and then working in policing of because we all mm -hmm. ask questions, reporters and police officers ask the same questions. So it was a perfect storm of, of knowledge that finally came to being able to sit down and write this and make it seem real. Absolutely. And you did work in the communications branch and similar to me, we, we share that background as well. And then for people who are, are interested in the book, I just want to say, too, it's 
even though it's a very difficult subject, it's a very ex excellent read because of the characters, because of the situations. And I mean, you handle death very well, if I put it <laughs> that way, but you do, you, it's realistic, it's factual. And yet, you know, you still feel the emotion and drama that comes from it, but you almost in an understated way, yeah. you know, the smell, the, you know, how they deal with it. So not topics that everyone can, can, can. I'm a visual, I'm a very visual writer. I, when mm -hmm. I take somebody into a room, I want them to know, you know, I just don't want them to know the room was blue. It had a window in the corner. I want them to know what it smells like. I, I want it because that's the emotions, you know, when you're writing, I need to know what, what did they see? What did they hear? What did they taste? What did they smell? What did they touch? When you walk into a room where there's a dead body that's been there for hours, there's a smell that's this undeniable smell of death. And you will know it. Even if you've never smelled a dead body before, you will walk in and go, oh, that's a dead body. And it'll be in your eyes. It'll be in your hair. It'll be, and you need to feel that. So, cause you can't empathize with, that girl who's on the floor if you you can't understand the death hmm you're you're right there and you know i had said to you your character descriptions are very vivid and your room descriptions your scene descriptions they all really are so i would say that really three-dimensional approach you have touch taste sight you name it it's 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 there and it makes it so real i hope that it this book raises that awareness and i and and, and as i said earlier I, I think that's one of your your aims is to make people more aware that it is here the fact your books are set in newfoundland you sort of go oh this here in newfoundland but hello <laughs> it is here you have to know look this this is the biggest fallacy is that newfoundland is a safe place i mean look newfoundland is the tip of atlantis this is the greatest place in the world i'd never want to live anywhere else but we do have crime. This idea that we don't have crime, we don't lock our doors. Listen, you you have a young daughter, you have a young son, they have a computer in the room, they have access to predators that you didn't even know existed. You need to know how this is done. You need to know. Your daughter's going to go to university. You need to know how they get manipulated and what they look for. You need to ask the questions, you know, and, and I, parents say this to me all the time. Oh, it frightens me. I hope so. It should frighten you because you need to ask the questions. Don't be too shy to ask your daughter, hey, this new boyfriend, has he ever asked you to do anything you're uncomfortable with? Like you, you can tell me this. Don't be embarrassed. And parents say, I don't know if I want to say that to my daughter when I cause a fight. Cause the fight. Because you know what? I'd rather have your daughter come home embarrassed than in a body bag. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it is exactly that. As a parent, there are times where you, you, you're pushing the limits and they push back and, and you're uncomfortable. You don't know where to go. And there's no real guidebook for that. And, you know, sometimes we back away from things um, that we should not back away from, from questions yeah. that we never lose the would fight. ask. Yeah. Mm. Never lose the fight. Fight. I say all the time, you know, I fight with my kids to get up. I fight when to go to bed. I fight when to eat. I fight when to stop eating. I fight to do everything. But I'd never stop the fight because I, I just, you know, you love your kids too much to stop mm. that fight. True enough. Now, Helen, people can get your books 
everywhere pretty much i think yes <laughs> they're at uh, they're at costco they're at chapters and kohl's they're at the irvings they're at loads of gift shops uh, i know on grand falls windsor's or there are a dozen places you could go get them also uh flanker press has just made this huge announcement and so big for newfoundland authors uh they've signed with a company in toronto to do distribution uh, and they're going to be distribu distributing the books down through uh, out through Western Canada and down through the states for the first time. So Newfoundland authors are now going to be available throughout the United States and, and all over Canada, which is going to be a huge market for us to get out and tell our stories. So, uh, you know, they're, they're doing really great things. And uh, so the books are going to be available. And uh, and they're also talking to the uh, they're also talking to different uh, movie places to, to start getting more Newfoundland stories to, uh, you know, to TV shows and movies. So they're, you know, they never stop. Flanker Press is amazing. I, you know, I, I got to say that it's a dream to have them doing this for me and for other authors. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, they do so much work. It's And especially during the pandemic when the stores closed down and, you know, they came in and started mailing out books. If you could buy them online, they would you know, buying from Flanker, they came in and spent their days mailing our books and God knows what that cost them. But, you know, it was, they needed to keep that going and, you know, yeah. amazing, amazing people. Yeah. And Jerry, Jerry's been on the show, Jerry Cranford and his oh. father, Gary Cranford. It is a true family business. The, yeah. Gary's um, wife and Jerry's mother, Margo, yeah. <laughs> and there are other family members. They're so Nick. Nick. yeah and everyone's writing and involved with it but thank you for mentioning that uh, deal i had read about that that they had opened those pathways for new newfoundland authors and that's amazing because for example so many of our books would be received so very well in other markets and sometimes they're not getting there they're not in the bookstores where people yeah. can shop along and if they see a cover like this and they go oh hey which we go back to the importance of covers. Yeah. Um, you know, I might like to read that book and then they learn about Newfoundland and then they learn about um, our, our authors. Yeah. So great. We, want great <laughs> we do have some great authors here, you know, and, and they're winning awards and they're, they're, and they're getting, you know, I remember I had a, an agent in Toronto one time uh, who uh, I talked to and she said, and your books are too Newfoundland. Nobody wants to read about Newfoundland and Toronto. Mm -hmm. And I said, have you gone to New York to see Come From Away? You know, I'm sorry, but everybody wants to come to Newfoundland. <laughs> so, you know, it, it just wasn't something for her. But then, you know, this other, uh, you know, distributor that, that Gary and, and Jerry just, uh, you know, confirmed is that, uh, and she read the books and went, my God, we need to get these stories everywhere. Everybody needs to read these stories. So you'll get the right person to do it and you know the newfoundland everybody loves newfoundland everybody loves newfoundlanders everybody knows a newfoundlander yeah well you know our biggest export has been people as well our, our biggest export is <laughs> we our, made our, our biggest export is that people always say oh it's fish it's not fish it's intelligence it's <laughs> our young people are moving away in droves but yeah. they come back and they want to come back you know i have a friend who lives in Hawaii. And every time I speak to her, she goes, Oh, I wish I could move home. And I'm like, you live in Hawaii. And she goes, but it's not home. It's like, you know, so I think we got that little homing chip and on Joey Smallwood put under her skin that every <laughs> Newfoundlander want to come home. 
Yeah, if they came home, uh, we'd probably be the heaviest populated province in Canada. And it's a shame. Yeah, I often think of it. How do we keep people here? How do we create industry? We really have to get off of those old paradigms and do things like Flanker are doing and take our products out to the world and bring Bring the film business in here. What better place yes. um, could we have it? So there's so much potential and we'll just keep supporting it. And Helen, please do keep writing. <laughs> I will. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. I look forward to coming at the Grand Falls and we'll yeah. make a weekend out of it. Yeah. We are going to make a great, perhaps a great weekend uh, for people and around literature. So we'll talk about that. And we need things in the fall. As the Sergeant Myra with me, and uh, and you can all have a look at them and, uh, and talk to Sergeant Myra. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You get to you get to go everywhere with him. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Helen, again, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day, and uh, we'll do this again because it's, it's just fun. I can't wait for your next book. So everyone, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. If you have any questions, throw them out there in the chat. Helen and, and I will keep an eye on it for the next few days or anytime, actually. We always do respond to your questions at Let's Get Writing and send in ideas for books. As a matter of fact, Helen, there are so many books that have come my way over the summer that I don't even know. And they continue to come and how can I do it? I could maybe do a show every day and I kind of want to. It's a dilemma, but a great one. It's a good, it's a good problem. It is a good problem to have. And again, thanks for joining us, everyone. And like and share the show on YouTube and Facebook. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So please let us know what you thought of this episode and share your ideas for future guests or topics. You can email us at letsgetwriting at katherinetaylor.ca. Don't forget to subscribe and even leave a review. And if you love this episode, share it with a friend. Until next time, believe in yourself and let's get writing.